It's the first week of 2019, which means prediction time is over. And as the results roll in, no company has more on the line this year than Walt Disney. The company is planning to close its massive acquisition for Fox Entertainment properties, it's spending like never before at its theme parks, and it's launching a Netflix-like streaming service, perhaps its most important debut since Disney World itself. I'm Alex Yule. On this week's Readback, we're joined again by Jack Howe, who recently sat down for a long interview with Disney CEO Bob Iger and got an exclusive tour of Disney's new Star Wars land. Jack, welcome back. Thank you. You wrote this cover story this week about the big changes underway at Disney. You also sat down in the office of longtime Disney CEO Bob Iger. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, we spoke for about 90 minutes, I'd say. And I was really struck by how all in Bob Iger seems on streaming. We know Disney has to respond to the popularity of Netflix and other streaming services. Netflix is really changing the way that Disney and the other media giants do business. On Thursday, the streaming service's market cap soared over Disney's for the first time. With 112 nominations, Netflix is dominating this year's Emmy Awards. And that's such a symbolic transition for the industry. It's really stunning. Disney has such a lucrative business in TV and films now, and it becomes difficult to do something new where, for example, instead of collecting easy cash for selling content onto Netflix, you stop doing that and start from zero with a new service where you want to gain your own subscribers and sell content to them. So I think some of us were wondering, is this something that they're doing on the side? Are they hedging for the future? And it did not sound that way at all. Iger kept mentioning a book called The Innovator's Dilemma, and he talked about how mature companies can avoid relying too heavily on the things they've always done and how they can do fresh things. He talked about companies that haven't pulled that off. Kodak, for example. As he put it, when the dust clears on this, this needs to be a transformed company. He sounds committed. And he talked about the way Wall Street will be able to see the performance of the traditional business and this new streaming business side by side. So you see something Netflix-like inside the company that's not going to have a lot of cash flow to start, but it's going to have presumably fast growth from a small base. And then you'll have the traditional businesses that are generating a lot of cash, and Disney will be uh, its own best customer in the sense that it will be making content for this new streaming service. How does Disney create its, quote, magic if it's not fully in the box office, can it actually do that via my Apple TV? From our conversation, it sounds like when you have these blockbuster movies that go to the theater where you're working with a $200 million budget, that's still going to be a theater movie. You're not spending $200 million to make a movie and then putting it on your streaming service. You are going to take some of the same intellectual property, Star Wars and Marvel, and you can do some new stories based on that for the streaming service. There are also some movies where... You can take well-known characters or older movies and remake them where it doesn't quite have the same cost attached to some of these blockbuster movies, and and some of those can go straight to streaming. So Toy Story 4 still hitting the movie theater, not necessarily straight to your streaming service. Still to the theater along with Frozen 2 at the end of 2019. And you really have to have a belief, and I imagine Bob Iger does, in the power of Disney to think that this thing is going to work, right? Yeah, because if you look at what happens with Netflix right now, Netflix burns cash, but it has tremendous growth in subscribers. One of the strengths of Disney is that it can make money in so many different ways from its intellectual property. There are movie studios out there that have 
theme parks that have merchandise, but no one has quite the reach. No one has quite the number of merchandising arrangements, and no one has quite the tie-in in terms of the stories working so seamlessly in the parks. There's tremendous construction all over the parks right now of new lands that are based around Pixar movies, Marvel, and of course, Star Wars. And all investors want to really hear about is the streaming service. But at the end of the day, this is still Disney we're talking about. It's still about storytelling, big ideas, and probably there's no better place to see that than the theme parks. You wore a hard hat for part of that trip. Tell us why. And boots. There's a new land being built, something called Star Wars Galaxy Edge. That's a massive new land, and it's both in Disneyland and in Disney World down in Florida. You got to ride all the new stuff, right? The rides are not operational, but Baron's got the first tour of the new Star Wars land in anything close to its current level of completion. Well, that sounds pretty cool. It has a serious wow effect for people who are familiar with you know, the Star Wars stories. So there's a Millennium Falcon ride, or attraction as they call it. Tell us again what the Millennium Falcon is. <laughs> don't pretend that you don't know. That <laughs> I've seen all the movies. Han, that Han Solo did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs on the Millennium Falcon. I have no idea what you just it, said. It's a spaceship piloted by Han Solo and his sidekick Chewbacca. For my own casual observation of Star Wars, probably the most well-known symbol of the franchise, would you say? It's right up there. Everyone's seen this aircraft for years and years, for 40 years, but no one's ever been inside. Look, when I was a kid, the richest kid on the street where I grew up had all the Star Wars toys. I didn't have Star Wars toys. I had a G.I. Joe hand-me-down from my brother. This guy had everything, including the Millennium Falcon, which was like the biggest, most impressive toy. And so I'm standing inside the Millennium Falcon thinking about how he had that toy. So I think if we learn nothing else from this, in your face, Rich. You won, Jack. (laughs) So there's a Millennium Falcon, and you'll pilot it. And depending on what you do with the controls, you'll see the real-time effects of that when you look out the window. So if you're a little sloppy in your takeoff, you might knock out the control tower, and you'll see that happen. No Han Solo. Right, right. right. So then let's say you're done flying the Millennium Falcon, and then you go across the way and go into the cantina, and you order a drink from the bartender. It's possible that the bartender will lean over to you and say, you know, the boss really isn't happy about what you did with the control tower back there. Now, this is part of an experience that people will be able to opt in or out of, and it seems to be tied in with a smartphone app that Disney has for its parks, where it's kind of a story that can follow you around from place to place. You can go there, you can be your own character. You can be some sort of rogue character or member of the resistance. or It's kind of choose your own adventure. This is different from every land that Disney has created in its parks. And I've been to the parks plenty with my kids. The top, what they call Imagineer there, I guess you would call it a storytelling engineer. So these are the people that build the attractions and the lands at Disney, design them. He said he used to ride Pirates of the Caribbean, which is this really old uh, boat ride that everyone loves. The original, one of the originals. He used to ride that, and he used to wish that he could get off the boat at the Pirates' lands and explore for a while and then get on the boat and continue the ride. And he said that's the way he's designed this especially Star Wars fans, but probably anyone, I think they're going to be really surprised at the way they become 
part of the attraction. It's like the visitor really is the ride. This is all fascinating, and I can see the excitement that must be going on in Disney as they create this latest land. Is storytelling, are these the kind of details that investors are going to even ever pay anything for? Or are these things that are actually costs that never help the stock? When you look at the profit statement for Disney, the parks have really become a tremendous earner. The company didn't always look like this. It was only a few years ago that you know cable was so lucrative for them, especially ESPN, that you'd look at Disney and say, wow, this company doesn't quite look like it. I always thought about the rides in the parks, but in fact, they make a ton of this money on, on TV. Now you've seen such growth in the parks that Disney is becoming more Disney-like. And so the return on investment when you spend in these parks is huge. We're talking about building a new Star Wars land in Disneyland on real estate that before this was a horse farm. It was used to keep horses that pull trolleys down Main Street. You can make more money with this land. And that's like discovering, you know, beachfront property in in Manhattan. (laughs) Right. Specific to Disneyland, this also creates more of a circular path for guests who are going through the land. So it's actually better for traffic flow in Disneyland. And to my eyes, it looks like a lucrative way to invest money for Disney. What could trip up Disney in 2019? I mean, I think everyone agrees that 2019 is a huge year for Disney. What's your kind of takeaway coming out of these interviews? The streaming is a really profound change for Disney. We don't yet know what kind of valuation investors will put on that. When investors see that there's this Netflix-like business inside Disney, do they get as excited as they do about Netflix? Will the growth there be anything similar to what it was for Netflix in the early days? Just how many subscribers can Disney bring into that? And does it matter that so many companies are rolling out streaming services right now? Right. So we can look at the number of people who pay quite a lot of money to visit Disney parks. And we could say those people are families who are real fans of the stories. And so there's, you know, it would seem that there's going to be a large audience for this thing. But will it be as large as we think? And will that be rewarded by Wall Street? That's an open question. So far. All right, Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You can read Jack Howe's full story on Disney in this week's edition of Barron's. And as always, on Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Litzhoft. The Readback will return next Wednesday.